All right. Well, thank you, Megan. Uh, one other thing that we do want to just let you know real quick is that uh, if you are at home watching, um, thanks so much for joining us. Or even if you're in the building or in the parking lot, we plan on taking communion at the end of the service today. So if you don't already have a communion cup or communion supplies, I would encourage you to go ahead and grab them. In fact, I'm going to grab mine so that I don't forget, and then we just pray out, and then that would be awkward because I told you all we're going to take communion. So that would be weird. So if you are at home, please gather those supplies if you want to partake of that with us. Uh, and good morning. Welcome again to the Christian Life Center. I'm so glad that you're all here. Happy New Year. I do want to say thank you for everyone that's here inside the building. Good morning to everyone that's outside the building in the parking lot, and good morning to all of you that are joining us online, whether you're watching this at 1045, at 9 o'clock, at 5 o'clock, we are so glad that you're here with us. Uh, it's a unique year that we've been in, right? Like at the beginning of this year, we would have just kind of said hi to everybody inside the building, but now we kind of have three different greetings and three different online um, in person outside and then in person in the sanctuary. It's kind of a unique year. And uh, today we're going to be taking a little bit of a pause from our series that we've been doing for the last ooh, gosh, 22, 25 weeks, something like that, where we've been looking at the Gospel of Luke. We're, we're just going to take a pause for this week as we start a brand new year. And what I hope to do this morning is to kind of challenge and encourage you for the year 2021 to have a renewed hope for the year. In fact, I thought about calling this a new hope. Um, and I don't know if you're any Star Wars fans in here, but I, I was really going to title that for my wife, who is a huge Star Wars geek. Yes, I did say geek. She's probably going to be upset at me later, but she's a huge Star Wars fan, so a new hope, but that's not what I ended up picking. Uh, kind of an uncommon hope is kind of what I wanted to talk to you about, and I do hope that you had a great Christmas, that you had a, new, uh, a great New Year's, and I hope, uh, and I say this with a definition that I'll give later on, I hope that you have a confident expectation of what God is going to do in the year 2021. Um, but one of the things that I usually do whenever I, I kind of, uh, it's the last week of December, what I, what I try and do is kind of reflect throughout the year, right? Like I try and remember all of the things that I've been through, all of the things that I've done, um, whether that's work, whether that's personal, like just try and reflect what the year looked like. And all I is everything that we already know, what a year 2020 was, right? Like it was a crazy year that none of us really expected, none of us really saw the way that it would be, um, none of us could have really planned for it, and if you were here last year in this season, like last year in January, I don't think anyone would have predicted that come about March or February, you would be concerned about where you would buy toilet paper, right? Like nobody really saw that coming. I know I wasn't thinking about it until March or February hit. Then I was very concerned about where I'd find toilet paper, and that's kind of all that I could think of. Like if there's one thing that the year 2020 has taught me, it's that there are certain things that I do not want to live without, and toilet paper is one of them, especially when it's like, March and the leaves haven't grown on trees, so there's not even that as an option. So that is one thing that 2020 has taught me. Um, and, and I guess for me, what I would say is that if, if I could sum up kind of the year 2020 in one word, uh, I would say that 2020 just kind of sucked. And I don't know if that word is offensive to you. I grew up in a very conservative Christian home. In fact, if my mother listens to this message and she hears that I just said that word, she's going to be very upset at me. 
But I feel like as I think through 2020 and the challenges and the difficulties and the things that we as, as uh, Americans, as people, as a culture, what we've endured, man, I feel like that is the best word to kind of sum it up. Or there's other words that I don't think I should probably use because they wouldn't be appropriate and they wouldn't be God-honoring. So that seemed like the most appropriate word to kind of sum up 2020. And I don't know for you guys as we are looking at 2021 as we're three days into it, where you guys are at. I don't know if, if you're feeling optimistic, if you're feeling like the worst is behind us, that we're going to be able to start moving forward, or if there's even concern about what 2021 will look like, you know, as we still are dealing with the effects and, and still dealing with COVID-19 and the impact that it has on us. There, there's some leaders and some, some leadership blogs that I read that there's a concern that 2021 may be even harder than 2020 because leaders will start to experience some burnout and some fatigue from just being able to kind of rally for so long. There's some concern that 2021 may not look all that optimistic. And uh, this morning, if you're here and you're going, dude, I really came to church because I'm wanting to be encouraged and lifted up, uh, we will get there this morning, I promise you. What I want to do is I want to look at the book of Lamentations, and really what I want to do is look at chapter 3. And and if you don't know what Lamentations is or where it is, that is completely okay. If you have a Bible, you want to open to it, or have an app you want to open to that, we're going to be in Lamentations And really, as we look at these first 20 verses, we're going to be reading 25 verses, Lamentations chapter 3, verses 1 through 25. In the first 20 verses, there is really not much good hope. Like, there's really not much good news. This is kind of a a sad, um, very disparaging book, if you read it. This is from somebody that is writing, it's believed that it's Jeremiah, that he is writing from a place of deep anguish, of deep despair, and deep hurt. And so for these first 20 verses, as we're going to look through it, I promise we will get to a place where there is hope. But also, I think for good news to be great news, that it needs to be set kind of with the backdrop of the disparaging news. And that's what we see in in Lamentations. And so that's what I want to kind of do today, is, is to just take a pause from the series that we've been in. We'll be back next week with a brand new series called Happy Life, Happy Strife, or Happy Strife, Happy Life, where we'll continue through the, the Gospel of Luke, and we'll be talking kind of, uh, this is maybe a setup a little bit to that series of talking about how we can have happiness and joy in the difficulties that we face in life. But for me, again, as I, I started to think through 2020, man, I would say that it was probably one of the most difficult years of my life. It was one of the most challenging, where there was just kind of a constant pressure a constant, maybe stress is the right word, um, where I would even use the word, there was times where I felt um, in despair as I looked at 2020, and and I don't know if you guys were like me, but there was even times where I thought in 2020, like, can it literally get any worse than this? And I don't know what you guys will remember 2024. It may be just for COVID and how it impacted and how it changed so many of our, our everyday things that we'd taken for granted, how it changed the way that we do things, the way that we interact with people. Or for some of you, maybe it's not COVID at all. For some of us, maybe it was a diagnosis that happened in 2020. Maybe it was a loved one that passed away. Maybe it was the lack of a job or like a, a cutting back of hours or maybe a complete loss of a job. This year has been unprecedented with so many different ways that we've been impacted and so many different ways that we're feeling the effects of COVID and and all of the different things that happen within that. 
So I don't know where this message will land. For some of you, as you come in today, maybe you're coming in with an optimism and an excitement, man. The, the skies are, are blue and everything looks great. And for some of you, you're going into 2020, maybe just, or 2021, just feeling tired, feeling a little bit weak, a little bit run down, kind of going, here we go again. And I really hope that you are challenged and encouraged by what we will see in Lamentations. And I wrote this in my notes. I said, the truth is, is that God is good all of the time, but life is still hard most of the time, right? Like if you've walked with God for any amount of time, you know this to be true. Yes, God is good. He is faithful. He is steadfast. And that's what I hope that we will end and land on, that we'll see God's goodness. But the reality is that we live in a world that is difficult. We live in a place where, man, life just gets challenging. And we can get easily wrapped up in that and, and struggle through the day-to-day things. We can struggle through the difficulties that we've had. And, and for my wife and I, I think one of the, the biggest challenges, one of the reasons why it's been one of the most challenging years for us is just our journey in foster care. Man, that has been a wild ride, y'all. Like, it has been an intense up and down, a lot of downs, some ups. Like, it's just been a crazy time, and, and we're truly praying, like, God, what would you have for us as we continue? We want to be faithful to what you've called us to, and this just seems like a really challenging, difficult time. And, uh, and this past week, I was pretty excited. I, I got to visit my home in Rhode Island where my parents live, my siblings live, uh, and it was a great visit. But even that, I, it was almost ironic um, if it wasn't such bad news for my family, it, it would almost be laughable that the very last day of 2020 found out that my father would have to continue for the next year through chemo. And man, that, that news kind of weighs pretty heavy. Even this morning, I find myself a little bit distracted thinking and praying for my family who this next year is going to be a very challenging year for them. And while, while the, the details of my difficulties might be unique to me, the, the fact that we all have difficulties is not unique, right? Like feeling of despair, that feeling of heartache and challenge, that is not unique to anyone. Like it's not that it's just to me, it's all of us have felt that. It is not unique to my situation because we all know what it's like to feel this crushing weight of life weighing on us. And while it may not be like an everyday situation where, where uh, you know, for my dad and, and his uh, diagnosis, that isn't kind of an everyday occurrence. We all understand and know that we live in a world where at the, uh, a phone call, at a single conversation, your world can be flipped upside down. And if anything, 2020 kind of taught us that as well. I think all of us have gotten really good at being really flexible in 2020, right? Like, all the plans that we have are loosely made and we're going I think this is what we're doing but who knows what next week holds and so as we look at this what I really hope is that we can kind of see what again it's believed that Jeremiah why it isn't expressly kind of said that Jeremiah is the author of Lamentations but what we see is Jeremiah as he calls out to God as he kind of accuses God uh, of certain things. In fact, some of the language that he uses here, as we, as we go through this today, some of you might be squirming a little bit in your seat going, I, I don't know if I would talk to God like that. Like, if you were raised in the type of household that I was, I'm not sure that I could talk to anybody like this because that would be considered disrespectful. But Jeremiah here just kind of laments and he's, he's being open and honest with his feelings and his despair to God and he's bringing it and laying it at his feet. And I think God does something so incredible in the midst of that. And so uh, what I hope to do is be able to challenge us that we would have an uncommon hope for the year 2021 
that we would be able to say, you know what, 2020 had a ton of challenges. And to be honest, 2021 will have equally, if not more, challenges. It will still be difficult, but the difference is, is that instead of placing our hope in what we wish for or what we desire, but we would place our hope in a confident expectation of who God is and what he has promised and his faithfulness. We can go into the year with a different attitude, a different mindset. Again, not because we're going to have it easy and it's going to be all rainbows and puppy dogs, but because we have a different perspective on the hope that we carry into 2021. And so, again, this isn't a really popular book. It's not a very motivating book. I would say it's probably one of the most painful books in the Bible that you'll read. Um, At times, it'll feel like this is Jeremiah's kind of personal diary that he is reading to God. Um, And if you've ever spent any time in Lamentations, which if you haven't, there's no judgment, because I think that this is the first time that ever preached from the book of Lamentations— And really, as you're looking through the entire book, it's only five short chapters. There's not a lot of, like, exciting verses to share except for what's found in kind of the heart of the book, which is chapter 3. In chapters 1 and 2 and chapters 4 and 5, there's just a lot of despair. There's a lot of heartache. There's a lot of difficulty, and there's a lot of challenges. Uh, So to give you kind of a a little bit of a historical context, um, lamentations is is to lament. It's just a fancy word that means to to be distressed or to grieve or to despair. If you were to look that up at at dictionary.com, the definitions are to feel or to express sorrow or regret for, to mourn for or over, to feel, show, or express grief, sorrow, or regret, to mourn deeply an expression of grief or sorrow or, or a formal expression of sorrow or mourning, especially in verse or song. And so Lamentations is really these five poems that Jeremiah the prophet believed because of the, the way that he writes, because of kind of the, the perspective of the person that wrote. It was written just after the fall of Jerusalem to the Babylonian Empire, and it was written from somebody who had seen it and had firsthand knowledge of it. And so because of that, it's believed that it, was, it had been written between 55 and, or 556 and 555 BC. And so it's just a series of laments, or if you will, funeral dirges for the nation of Israel. And it's really to lament the deep sorrow and the emotional pain over Jerusalem's destruction. And what I wanted to do really quick is that uh, there's a, a very good video by Bible Project where they kind of give an overview of Lamentations. And so what I wanted to do is just kind of show that to you so that you have a broader picture and an understanding of the whole book. And then what we'll do is just kind of dive into chapter three. So if you would, check this out. The Book of Lamentations, it's a unique book in the Old Testament that contains five poems from an anonymous author who survived and is now reflecting back on the Babylonian siege of Jerusalem and the destruction and the exile that followed. Remember the whole story from the Book of Second Kings. The fall of Jerusalem and the exile was the most horrendous catastrophe in Israel's history up to this point. So remember, God had promised Abraham the land. He'd given David victory to make Jerusalem Israel's capital. And from David came the royal line of kings. You had God's presence there in the temple, and that's where the priests maintained the rituals of Israel's worship. And after 500 years of all of this history, in the summer of 587 BC, the city fell to Babylon. It was all decimated 
and gone. And so the book of Lamentations is a memorial to the pain and confusion of the Israelites that followed this destruction. Now the lament poems found here are not unique in the Bible. There's lots of them in the book of Psalms. And these biblical poems of lament, they do a number of things. They're a form of protest. They're a way of drawing everybody's attention, including God's attention, to the horrible things that happen in this world that should not be tolerated. They're a way of processing emotion. So in these poems, God's people vent their anger and dismay at the ruin caused by people's sin and selfishness. And these poems are a place to voice confusion. Suffering makes us ask questions about God's character and promises, and none of this is looked down on in the Bible. Just the opposite. These poems of lament give a sacred dignity to human suffering. And so these human words of grief that are addressed to God have now become part of God's word to his people. The design of these five poems is very intentional. It's part of the book's message. So chapters one through four are called acrostics, which means alphabet poems. Each poetic verse begins with a new letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which is made up of 22 letters. Now this very ordered and linear structure, it's in stark contrast to the disorder of the pain and the confused grief that's explored in these poems. So it's like Israel's suffering is explored A to Z and is trying to express something that is inexpressible. Chapters one and two each have one verse per letter, giving them a really similar design, but the themes are very different. So chapter one focuses on the grief and shame of a figure called Lady Zion. The poet personifies the city of Jerusalem as a widow, also called the daughter of Zion. And she sits alone. She's bereaved of her loved ones, devastated. No one comes to comfort her. It's a very powerful metaphor. And then Lady Zion speaks. She calls on the Lord to notice her fate. And through this image, the poet, he's showing that the city's destruction brought a level of psychological trauma on the Israelites that can only be expressed as the experience of a funeral and the death of a loved one. Chapter 2 focuses on the fall of Jerusalem and how it was a consequence of Israel's sin and was brought about by God's wrath which is a key word in this poem. Now, it's important to remember that in the Bible, God's wrath is not spontaneous, volatile anger. The biblical poets and prophets, they use this word to talk about God's justice. So Israel had entered a covenant agreement with God, and for centuries they've been violating it by worshiping other gods, perpetrating injustice, oppressing the poor. And so, yes, God is slow to anger, but he eventually does get angry at human evil, and he will bring his just anger in the form of punishment. In the case of Jerusalem, this involved allowing Babylon to come and conquer the city. And so this poem is acknowledging that God's wrath is justified, but this doesn't keep the poet from lamenting and asking God to show compassion once again. Chapter 3 breaks this design pattern by having three verses per letter, so it's the longest poem in the book. And the voice is that of a lonely man speaking out of his suffering and grief as a representative of the whole people. And what's interesting is that this chapter is full of language that's drawn from other parts of the Old Testament, from the laments of Job and from other important lament psalms and even from the suffering servant poems in Isaiah. And the poet sees his hardship as a form of God's justice, like chapter 2 said. But paradoxically, this is what gives the poet hope. And it leads him to offer the only hopeful words in the whole book. Because of the Lord's covenant faithfulness, we do not perish. His mercies never fail. They're new every morning. How great is your faithfulness, O God. So I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will put my hope in him. 
So the poet reasons, if God is consistent enough to bring his justice on human evil, then he'll also be consistent with his covenant promise to not allow evil to get the final word. And so for this poet, God's judgment is the seedbed of hope for the future. Chapter 4 goes back to the same alphabet structure as chapters 1 and 2, and it's a vivid and disturbing depiction of the two-year siege in Jerusalem. And it contrasts how things used to be in Jerusalem of the past and how terrible they became in the siege. So children used to laugh and play in the streets, but now they beg for food. The wealthy used to eat lavish meals, but now they eat whatever they can find in the dirt. And the royal leaders used to be full of splendor, but now they're famished and dirty and unrecognizable. And the anointed king from the line of David has been captured and dragged away. So the poem's power comes from the shock of these contrasts, and it's exploring the depth of the suffering that Israel brought on itself. Now the final poem is unique because it breaks the design pattern. It's the same length as all of the other alphabet poems, but the alphabet order is gone. It's like the poet can't hold it together anymore and his grief has exploded back into chaos. The poem is a communal prayer for God's mercy. Israel begs God not to ignore their suffering or abandon them. And the poem offers a long list of all of the different kinds of people who were devastated by the fall of the city. They ask God not to forget these people, and they lament on behalf of others, giving voice to their pain. Suffering in silence is just not a virtue in this book. God's people are not asked to deny their emotions, but voice their protest to vent their feelings and pour it all out before God. The book ends with something of a paradox. The poet acknowledges that God is the eternal king of the world, but also that Israel's circumstances make them feel like God is nowhere to be found. And so the final words of the book leave this tension totally unresolved. It asks, unless you've totally rejected us, and the book ends. The poet doesn't offer a nice, neat conclusion, much like our own experiences of pain and suffering. The story of the Bible doesn't end here, but this very important book shows us how lament and prayer and grief are a crucial part of the journey of faith of God's people in a broken world. And that's what the book of Lamentations is all about. So again, not a very happy book, um, but a painful and, and difficult book as you read through it and work through it. And, um, and again, it wasn't specifically mentioned in this book of Lamentations, but it's believed widely that Jeremiah is the author of it. He is the poet of that. And Jeremiah has witnessed some terrible things. Jeremiah was a prophet that God had used to really be the, the, his voice to the nation of Israel, specifically that southern kingdom, that, that tribe of Judah um, is what it was referred to. And, and so it, Jerusalem is before the siege. Jeremiah is preaching God's word. He's saying that there needs to be a turning and a repenting of sin or else there would be destruction, there would be consequences. And then Jeremiah sees that place entirely. He's witnessed these horrible things, um, and really, again, it's because of the unrepentant sin of Israel that these things happen, that God allows the nation of Babylon to come and overtake Jerusalem. Uh, one of the commentaries that I read said this, it said, from 588 to 586, the army of Babylon ground away at the defenses of Jerusalem. One by one, the other cities in Judah were crushed until only Jerusalem remained. Within the city, the ever-tightening siege by Babylon's army began unraveling the fabric of society. Starving mothers ate their own children. 
Idolatry flourished as people cried out to any and every god for deliverance. Paranoia gripped the people until they were willing to kill God's prophet as a traitor and a spy just because he spoke the truth. And you could read through Jeremiah. There's a ton of history there that we just don't have enough time to really get into. If you have any questions, I would encourage you to to let us know for overtime on Tuesday. We'll be able to answer any of those questions that you would have there. Um, But really what happened is is that Jeremiah has witnessed the complete destruction. At this point, he has witnessed the complete destruction of Jerusalem. And what happened is that the armies of Babylon had burned the temple, they burned the king's palace and other major buildings in in the city, and they tore down the walls of the city, which provided her protection. Um, When the Babylons finally finished their destruction and departed with their prisoners, they left a jumble heap of smoldering ruins. So they take a group of exiles back to Babylon, and they do leave a remnant that is there, but... Jeremiah has witnessed all of this. He's seen all of this. He's preached saying that this would happen, and now he's kind of come full circles to to talking about it, not being heard, to, to warning, and now it's happened, and now he's grieving what is and what has been. And so again, like I said, for the first 20 verses of this chapter, guys, there is not a lot of hope. But hang in there because there is hope in this book. Uh, if you came to church because you were looking for hope and you're, you're waiting for it, I promise you we will get to it. But again, I think that the reality is, is that there is great news, but in order for it to be great news, it needs to be set against the reality of the difficult news. And that's what makes it such great news for not only Jeremiah, but also for his people and for us even today. And so as we go through this, what I wanted to do is just kind of read a couple couple verses at a time. We'll just kind of quickly move through these 20 verses, kind of pulling out some things that are pretty interesting as we read through it. Um, But reading Lamentations chapter 3, starting in verse 1, this is what it says. It says, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. It's interesting in the, the biblical context, anytime you would see darkness and light, it would be a contrast of good and evil, right? Like that's pretty easy to understand. Darkness is typically what the, biblical, what the Bible pictures for lostness. A darkness equals calamity versus light would equal a prosperity. And so he's saying, I'm a man who's seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He is driven and brought me into darkness. Not I found myself into darkness, but God has driven me into darkness without any light. Against me, surely he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. The idea that it's a repetitive motion. Like if it was discipline, the the hand that discipline just continues to discipline again and again. Jeremiah uses, he doesn't hold back in this chapter. In fact, for me, when I get to verses like 10, 11, and 12, and 14, like for me, as I first read through this, I'm going, wow, I don't, I don't know if I would say that to God. But, but Jeremiah, from the onset, begins to, to vent his frustration using a list of different metaphors uh, of what he is feeling, what the afflictions that he has felt, but also not just him, but he is also representing the nation of Israel as a whole. And so he says this, continuing on, verses 4 through 6, he says, He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged me and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. 
Uh, it's interesting, that word, therefore, he has made my flesh and skin waste away. That word literally means to become old or to wear out. So it, it's almost like this picture of, of Jeremiah saying, hey, God's given me wrinkles. God has given me wrinkles. I'm getting, like, old. I'm worn out. I'm, uh, my, my flesh is getting old. And not only that, he is broken, literally meaning to shatter to pieces. Not just broken in a single break, but shatter to pieces my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. And what is interesting is as you read through this, this chapter 3, bitterness shows up a, a total of three different times, and, and twice it's used in the way that we see it here, and, and when we get to that other part, I'll talk about how bitterness is used in that other one. But that bitterness here, if you were to look up that word, um, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, it's Hebrew word of rosh, um, and, and that bitterness means to be bitter and a poisonous herb or venom. Something that would fill you with, uh, the idea, at least in my mind, is a snake. If it bites, you're, you're filled with venom. It's toxic. It's not good for you. So he's talking about a bitterness within him that is not good. Like this anger that dwells within him and it makes him bitter and angry towards everything that he sees and everything that he's experiencing. This bitterness, he's, bes he's besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. The, the picture that Jeremiah is painting here, and in, in fact, this verse 6 of Lamentations 3, some translations say he has set me in darkness like the dead of long ago. That, that picture that he's painting is kind of like a mortician who is setting a body for its final resting place. He has set me in darkness. Like, this is a very vivid picture that Jeremiah is painting here. The poet is not holding back. He's venting all of his, his deep despair, his anguish, and his difficulty. And he is just kind of letting it fly. Uh, verse 7 says this, He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayers. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. Jeremiah could find no way out. There was nowhere he could run. There was nowhere he could hide. This was what he had to deal with. There was no escape. If he tried to run, he would be blocked is what he says. He would be uh, that his paths were made crooked. So he, all of his prayers were unanswered. It was almost like God wouldn't hear him, that as he cried out to him, his prayers would go unanswered. That this is something that God has done to him, that he has made it difficult for him, that he could see no way out. His freedom was completely gone. And verses 10, I don't know why, I just really think that this is a unique couple of verses here. It says, he is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion hiding he turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. And this is in this passage, as I read through it the first couple of times, this is where I start to go, ooh, I don't know if I would God, call God like a bear waiting to tear me apart. Like, that seems a little bit harsh. I know that 2020 was difficult and I'm challenged, but this is the language that he uses. Really, as you look through it, there's not very many songs that talk about God being a bear ready to, like, destroy us, right? Because that's not a very happy, like, celebratory song where you get to, like, praise God because he's a bear and he's ready to destroy us, right? 
Even the ones, the songs, and we sang a verse today that had kind of God as a lion, but it's not like God is a lion about to destroy me. It's more like God's a lion. He's mighty. Look at how awesome he is. But here, Jeremiah is not saying that. He's going, he's a bear. He's a lion, and I'm scared. It's difficulty. It's, he's a bear and a lion waiting for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. I guess why I, I think that that's unique is that uh, if you have a favorite attribute of God, like God is, is loving or merciful or, or grace-filled, there's so many different attributes. Not one attribute can fully define who God is. But if you have a favorite attribute of who God is, it most likely isn't the fact that he is like a lion or a bear. <laughs> but yet, this is how Jeremiah kind of equates it. Continuing on, verses 12 and 14, he continues this, this really this charge against God, if you will. He, he has bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrows. I'm God's target. Like me, individually, me as Jeremiah, like I feel like I'm God's target. Me as God's people. We went from this favor with God, his, his chosen people as the Israelites, to now we're his enemy. He is targeting us for this destruction, for this heartache, for this pain, for this despair. This is what he has for us. If we try and run, we can't run. This is what he has for us. He has targeted us. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become a laughingstock of all people, the object of their taunts all day long. And again, this is Jeremiah probably drawing on his experience as God's prophet where he was mocked and, and scorned because he spoke truth. That truth has now played out, but he was mocked and ridiculed and made fun of and in, in jeopardy of losing his life because the people didn't want to hear it. And so he's drawing on not just his experience, but many others now in the nation of Israel as Babylon comes in and they did whatever they wanted to do. I've become the laughingstock of all people, the objects of their taunts all day long. He changes from bear and lion to target against God. And then he continues in, in verse 15 and 16. He says, He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. And what's unique about this, this different word here for bitterness is different than what we see in verse 6. Verse 6 is kind of the idea of this poison that is within him. But in this verse, in, in 15, he says, He's filled me with bitter, bitterness. He has sated, which means more than he can handle, sated me with wormwood. And this bitterness here uh, means, uh, the word literally translates bitter thing or bitter herb. Um, and, and it also is talks about wormwood. Wormwood would be one of the major uh, ingredients for absinthe, so it's possible that what he's talking about is this drink that was made from wormwood, and if wormwood was the main ingredient, if, if, you, if you had too much of wormwood specifically, too much of the plant compound would be toxic if in fatal uh, or even fatal in large amounts. And so this bitterness that he's talking about, it was the most bitter plant in Judah, this bitterness that he's talking about here is that he's filled, he's, he can't take it anymore of this bitterness that is within him that he's been forced almost to drink. 17 to 20 says, My soul is bereaved of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. Other translates say, or I've forgotten what good is. 
you can hear the despair in his voice. Verse 18, I, so I say my endurance has perished. So my hope, so has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continues, continually remembers and is bowed down within me. Really, he reaches a level of despair that he's going, I can't go on. As you read verse 18, my endurance has perished, so is my hope in the Lord. Uh, these are not light verses. I think that we can read texts and understand where we're going. Even this morning as I set it up, I'm trying to give you a picture of the hope that I want to build, but as he is speaking these words, this is the deep despair that he is in. And this is kind of the, the idea that, of why I wanted to share this, is that as I'm reading through this, one of the, the questions that comes to mind, why in the world is this in the Bible? Like, why is Lamentations here? listed uh, among the books that God would have be something that is read thousands of years later. And I think that there's a reason that this is here because God is a big God. God is not scared or offended. He's not hurt by the questions that Jeremiah is asking. Jeremiah is lamenting. He's, he's bringing his charges to God, but God is there listening to him. There's something that happens that in this lamentation, it offers us a way to grieve and to communicate to God from a place of deep despair. And I think that that is important. So the first thing that I would challenge you with, that as you look at 2021, yes, 2020 was difficult. And again, there may be more challenges that you face in 2021. But as you look at those things, know that when you do go through hardship, when you go through despair, when you feel like God is against you, that he has made you a target, that you can bring those things to God. That you can speak those things out without fear, without feeling like, if I do that, is God going to be angry? Like, is that something that I should do or not do? Again, if you grew up in a, in a household that was like mine, we were very respectful towards one another. My parents made sure that we would do that. So language was like, this generally didn't happen, but God is a big enough God that he can handle it. So in your despair, in your heartache, in your hardship, go to God, present whatever it is that is bothering you, present it to him, and in that, I think that there's something beautiful that happens, which we'll see as we continue on. There's absolute despair, nothing good for the future. Again, we're not looking at chapters 1 and 2 or 4 and 5, but there's much of the same. There's more lamenting and difficulty. In chapter 5 specifically, it's a prayer that Jeremiah is saying for the nation of Israel, and there's something that happens in that. I think the truth is, is that for many of us, we wrestle with deep hurts. We wrestle with a lot of heartache, a lot of difficulty, whether it's something that we're currently going through or something maybe we've dealt with in the past or something that we're still dealing with, and that is okay. I want you to know from this stage that if you have hardship, if you have difficulty, if you have despair from things in your past, it is okay to wrestle with that. It is okay to bring that to God and to say, God, I really dislike this or I'm really struggling with this. What I would challenge you with is I, I would say that emotions make for a great caboose and not a good engine. So don't let your emotions be the thing that drives you. But I would say that if you are feeling a certain way, it's okay to feel whatever you're feeling. I think that that is why this is put in the Bible. I think Lamentations is here is to give us an example of how we can go to God in the difficult situations that we go through. As we go through the hardships, that God is a God that desires to be in communion with us. That he desires to be in relationship with us. 
and that this offers us a picture of what we can do when we, we feel like we're in over our head or that God is an enemy to us. The New Bible Commentary says this. It says, The lamenting we see, see here in the writing of this book can help us as believers in order to face problems which are hard to face. The Word of God can work in this way, not merely teaching our minds, but giving us the means of expressing that which is too deep for us and tutoring mind and heart in the process. The questions and the protest, therefore, can be at the same time confession. It can even be praise because we address God who is just. His justice does not finally issue only in judgment, but also in mercy. Our use of this knowledge of Jesus Christ who has revealed by his death and resurrection that God is redeeming his world and will one day wipe away every tear. And I just think that this is just a, a beautiful picture of what we can do when we find ourselves in deep despair. So as we go into a new year, you're going to have difficulty. You're going to have hardships. You're going to have heartaches. You may feel despair. You may feel like just pressure from everywhere. But in that, what I would encourage you to do is that you would bring that to God. Lay it all before him. Don't hold anything back. Let him know how you feel. And I think in that, there's something beautiful that happens, that as you communicate that, that God does a work, that there's healing that begins to take place, that, that he begins to do something, even in your crying out to him. So I think as we look at this, I think that Lamentations offers us a, a model to grieve and to communicate communicate to God from a place of deep despair. I think that the reason this book is in the Bible is so that we can have a model, an, ex an example to follow when we're in deep despair. And through this model, we can arrive at an uncommon hope. Uh, the second thing that uh, happens as you continue on, so through 20 verses, again, not much hope, but then all of a sudden you get to 21 and it's almost like there's a, there's a change of scenery, right? Like, like the, the music changes, the scene is different, like there's a turning of the page and all of a sudden, and, and in my mind, I'm wondering if there's time that's passed. Like he's, he, I don't know if this is instantaneous. I wonder if there's like a, uh, you know, a, a certain amount of time that has passed from verse 20 to 21. I don't know, this is pure speculation on my part, but there's something that changes in this. This is really, I believe, like my favorite part of why Lamentations, why this message is so important, is because I think that in that lamenting, in that communication, in that deep disparaging place, this is where Jeremiah ends up arriving. Again, there's great news here in this chapter, but in order for it to be great news, it needs to be set against the reality of the difficult news. Lamentations 1, or excuse me, 321 says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. He has just said in the previous verse that he's lost hope. But he goes, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. It's an intentional choice. It's a deliberate making, making an effort to think through what God has done. And because he is deliberate in that, he has hope. And I think it's important, I mentioned it, I kind of teased it in the beginning. I think that as we talk about hope, that we understand the biblical definition of hope. See, a lot of the times we use the word hope kind of as, as the word wish. Like, I hope that I get, uh, you know, this gift for Christmas or, or, or whatever. That might be a silly example, but I hope, meaning I wish for this. And, and really the problem with that type of hope is that it's based on our desire. 
Like our wish, the, the wanting of something, that hope is based on how hard I desire something. But whenever we see hope within a biblical context, in the Bible it means that there's a confident expectation of what God has promised. And its strength is not in the desire of ourselves, but it's in His ability. So when we talk about hope in this sense, when Jeremiah brings it up in verse 21, and therefore I have hope, what he's saying is that he has a confident expectation of what God has promised. Not based on what he thinks, but on what God has promised and on God's strength, not his own desire or ability. Hope is the confident expectation of good based on the character and the promises of God while experiencing punishment, yet still has the hope of being restored to his purposes and a right relationship with God. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. What does he recall? What does he think? What does he intentionally choose to do? He brings to mind the steadfast love of the Lord, which never ceases. God's love never stops. Like the ocean waves that continue to crash on the shore, God continues to lavish his love on us. His steadfast, his steady, unending love continues for his people. What's so amazing, and you already saw it in that video, is that it's the very discipline that Jeremiah is experiencing along with the nation of Israel that allows him to have hope. Because if God is faithful to keep his word in the discipline, God is also faithful to keep his word in the abundant love, the lavish love, the steadfast love that he would give to the nation of Israel. He had made a covenant promise and the nation of Israel was still his chosen people. And there was nothing that could happen that would take them from that. God would use the Babylonians to, to discipline his chosen people, but they were still his chosen people. So in the midst of the despair, in the midst of the heartache, Jeremiah is going, it's not just faithfulness. Like, God is faithful. He, he is doing what he said he would do. But if he is faithful to be disciplining, he's faithful in his steadfast love, which never ends. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. His outward affliction and inward turmoil pushed him towards despair. However, one thought crowded out the hopelessness that threatened to overwhelm him. Because of the Lord's great love, his steadfast love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. And when everything seemed horrible, and Jeremiah wanted the people to know that God's steadfast love endured forever. That there was still a remnant left in, Jer in Jerusalem. That there was still a remnant of his people. That God had not abandoned or forsook or, or left his people to be. God was still moving and God was still working. And he was faithful to, to carry out the discipline that he said he would do. But he was also faithful in the covenant that he created with his people that he promised never to leave and never forsake. One of the commentaries that I read said, judgment cannot be God's last word, for his compassion triumphs over judgment to those within his promise. Because love and compassion are the chief attributes of God, they are always fresh, ready to be proved and known again. For this reason, those who have been afflicted may always put their trust in him again for their acceptance and restoration. 
If God is faithful in keeping his word and discipline, he will keep his word with his promise. Jeremiah's knowledge of God's ways produced hope and not despair. While there was despair, ultimately it produced this hope. So we can have that same hope that if we are walking with God, if we are turning towards him, even if we're walking through a season of difficulty, of, of discipline, or of, uh, of whatever it is that we're, of hardship that we're going through, God is still faithful. He promises to never leave and never forsake us. He gave his son on a cross to pay our price so that we could be in fellowship with him. So we can rest assured that he is a God that loves us, that cares for us, that desires to be in fellowship because he did not send his son for nothing. He sent his son to take our place. The last two verses say this. It says, uh, it's Lamentations 3, 24 and 25. It says, the Lord is my portion. My soul says, therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. God is faithful or unchanging in his love. Therefore, the poet can be content that God should be his portion or lot, uh, or lot, whatever the circumstances. What's interesting there is that word portion, the Lord is my portion, has to do with the, the allotment of land that the Israelites would have had. So Jeremiah specifically is talking about his inheritance. Uh, as the nation of Israel comes into the promised land, it's divided amongst the 12 tribes, and in those 12 tribes, the land is divided amongst the people. But now here what we have is that the, the nation of Israel is gone. It's been years since the northern kingdom was, was taken over by the Assyrians. Uh, if I remember correctly, it was the Assyrians, and now Babylon has just defeated the rest uh, of God's chosen people. So there is no land. It's already taken over. It's been conquered. So when Jeremiah here says, the Lord is my portion, he's saying, I don't need land. I don't need inheritance. I don't need property to be what I put my hope and my portion is. My portion is, is in the fact that God is God and he will do what he says he will do. My portion or my lot is in him. It's in his promise. It's in his steadfast love. It refer, refers to the territory or, or tract or portion associated with land. Babylon had took his portion. He had no land or no possession, but God was his inheritance. He was his territory, all that he needed. So uh, for us, as we look at 2021, uh, again, I've already talked about it. I think that we are going to face difficulty. We're going to face hardship. Maybe the same amount, maybe more, maybe less, who knows? But I don't think that really matters as we look at the year as a whole. What I think matters is that we understand God's steadfast love his faithfulness that will endure, his faithfulness that is new every single morning, that each and every single day, no matter what difficulty or challenge or hardship or despair that we face, that God is steadfast in his love and his faithfulness. That if God is, is keeping his word in discipline, that he will keep his word when it comes to love and the promises that he's made. So as we talk about the year 2021, I want to use the biblical definition of hope and say, I hope that you would have an incredible 2021. Not hope as in my desire or my wish, my hope for you, but no, I hope that you will have a, a positive 2021 because it's a promise or it's the um, confident expectation based on God's promises and his faithfulness that you will have a good 2021. Because of who God is, I hope that you will have a good 2021. And today, what we get the opportunity to do just before we, we sing one final song is that we have the opportunity to partake in communion together. 
And so if you're at home or in your cars or even here in sanctuary, if you want to just gather that, we'll, we'll do that in just a moment. And, and really what this is, is us remembering the promise of what God has done. This is seeing what, that Christ laid his life down on a cross for us. He did that so that we could be in right relationship with him. He did that so that we could be with him for eternity. Whenever we do communion, whenever we partake of it, we are reminded of what Christ has done. And it's our desire that you would remember that each and every single time, that it wouldn't just be a step or an action that you do at home or in your car or in this building, but it would be something that reminds you that this was the symbol, this was the sign that God loved you so much that he would send his one and only son to die in your place. This is the symbol, the sign of his steadfast love that he took our punishment and so reading from from paul's words in, in corinthians in first corinthians chapter 11 verses 23 and 29 what we'll do is we'll just uh, if you can peel the top part of this maybe i should have done this before the service uh, if you can peel the part top off we'll, we'll partake of the bread together in just one moment and then we'll partake of the juice but first corinthians eleven twenty-three says this it says and it's Paul speaking, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's pray for this bread, and then we'll partake of that together. So Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your body. Lord, that through it we have access to you. Lord, through the breaking of your body and the shedding of your blood, Lord, that you demonstrated, that you modeled your steadfast love for us, your unending love. Lord, I thank you so much that you went to Calvary, that you took our place. Would we, we be reminded of that each and every single day? We thank you for it. Please partake of the bread. Continuing on in 1 Corinthians, it says, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let's pray for this uh, cup as well. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your blood. Again, Lord, what we've just prayed, that it paved a way for us to be able to have access to you that was a sign and a symbol of your love and your, your dedication, your promises to us. Lord, I thank you that we can have a hope, a confident expectation in you, not a wish based on our desires and our fleeting emotions, but Lord, we can have an expectation because you are a good God and the things that you've promised, you will do. So Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you for, for your shed blood. I thank you that we have the opportunity to partake of it and remember it today. Lord, would you be with us now as we partake of this? In Jesus' name, amen. Would you partake of the cup? And I just would ask that you would just pray with me right before we, we close in our final song. So Heavenly Father, again, I thank you so much for who you are and for your great love. Lord, I'm humbled at the fact that you would choose to send your son to die in our place, that you would die in my place. Lord, I'm humbled that in the difficulty and the heartache and the despair that we all feel from time to time, Lord, that you do not, that you do not let go, that you are not far. 
Lord, I'm humbled that we get the opportunity to even confess or, or declare or even what it looks like is that Jeremiah is even accusing you of things, Lord, that you are a big enough God that you handle that, that you can handle that and somehow in some divine way, Lord, that you can use that to bring you glory and to move and work within our hearts and lives. So, Lord, as we look at this chapter, would it not just be for us seeing the despair, but would we see the hope that you have there, that you are faithful, that you are good, that you are steadfast. And, Lord, as we enter this new year, Lord, wherever this message lands, I know that there's a lot of different uh, people in a lot of different places. For some, maybe this is exactly what they needed to hear. For some, Lord, they're, they're excited and energetic and can't wait to see what you have in store for this year. And maybe this didn't quite land with them. But Lord, I pray that you would just continue to move and work. Lord, that maybe when they are in that season of despair, that you would just call this to mind in them, Lord, that they would just be challenged and encouraged. So Lord, I thank you for every single person that is here. As we sing this last song, Lord, would we understand and know that you are the God of hope. And we thank you for who you are and for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, I would encourage you, if you're in this room, you can stand with us and sing as we sing our final song this morning.
breathe in forgiveness And if you need freedom Yeah, He's where you find it And Ben went outside to say goodbye to those out there and greet them. And so you get me to end with. You know, I had said to a friend this year, I have zero expectations for 2021. And she kind of chuckled. And I said, no, I feel like I always set these goals and make plans. And this year, I'm just not going to do any of that. And if anything good happens, I'll just be happy about it. But I think I'm going to change that because I think we have confident expectation that God will do exactly what he needs to do in this new year. I pray that you believe that today. I pray that we'll see you back next week. So happy new year.